Very nice to see you all, and we are going to dive straight into election 2018. First, of course, I must talk about myself. <laughs> I'm trying to be relatable, not narcissistic, but, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. It is strange for me, my friends, very strange to care about elections, to have a side in the race, to have a dog in the fight, as they say, and hooey, it's very, very Strange. And I'm just saying that right up front. Obviously, I'm hoping for Republican victories, and that is necessary but not sufficient to save the country. And since America is kind of the keystone of the arch of the West at the moment, to save the West requires saving America. And saving America requires keeping the Democrats as far away from the levers of power as inhumanly possible. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my thoughts. I want to take your questions and have a chat about how you guys are doing, particularly, of course, my uh, friends in America. <laughs> because, boy, it's quite a... Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Don't panic. Don't panic. But I posted earlier today from Les Mis, uh, the song One Day More, Another Day, Another Destiny, Another in This Never-Ending Road to Calvary, uh, and uh, One Day More, uh, <laughs> Tomorrow is the Day We've All Been Waiting For. It's Judgment Day, and it is a very powerful thing. So... There's a couple of things that I want you guys to do. It's just me sitting in a studio telling you guys what I want you to do. But I want you to do them anyway. <laughs> so, and hold off on the Super Chats if you can. I would really uh, appreciate that. Uh, till, I appreciate the support. Freedomainradio.com slash donate is where you can also go, of course. But I wanted to talk about some of the major differences between the parties. Because I, I want to at least get across my ideas about what's majorly different between the left and the right, as traditionally understood. Lots of overlap and lots of rhinos and all of that, and lots of communists posing, posing as democratic socialists. But I wanted to go through a couple of the major differences between the parties and figure out how to get this stuff across to people. It's so important. So one thing that immature people are not very good at is watching suffering and knowing it's for a greater cause, right? And watching suffering and knowing it's for a greater cause. And this immaturity seems to me all over the left. Like you see a poor person, it's like, oh, let's give that person money. You see a sick person, it's like, oh, they must get healthcare no matter what. And you see a sad person, it's we got to do whatever we can to make them happy. Now, that's not a moral thing. Generally, what happens is people feel very unhappy when they see someone suffering and they want to eliminate and alleviate that suffering. They're not, they don't fundamentally care about the other person's suffering. What they care about is their own suffering, right? Which is that I suffer when I see someone sad, therefore I'm going to do everything in my power to make sad people happy, not because I think it's good for them, not because I care about their long-term interests, but simply because I feel sad when I watch them. And that's really, really this ability to recognize and process suffering is really, really important. So the question is, you know, why has Obamacare not been repealed and replaced as the Republicans promised to do? And the answer, I think, is, is fairly simple. So if they were to repeal and replace Obamacare, there would be inevitably and naturally some winners and some losers. There would be people who would be better off because they'd be paying less 
for their insurance. I mean, the emails that I get about people's increase in insurance from like 800 bucks a month to well north of $2,000 a month for worse coverage, fewer doctors, and a $10,000 deductible, which makes it basically unusable healthcare unless you have to have a head reattached or something like that. So there will be winners and losers. And what the media does, as you know, is they focus on everyone who suffers from a Republican program, and they focus on everyone who benefits from a Democrat program, right? So if the Republicans were to repeal and replace Obamacare, then some people who formerly got health care would face reduced options or opportunities for getting health care. Oh, they'd have to find some other way, or charity or whatever it is, right? Or healthier lifestyles. Remember, 70% of health issues are lifestyle-related, which means you have control over them. So if they repealed and replaced Obamacare, what would happen is the media would find all the people who had lost health care and then they'd follow them around as they coughed and followed them around as they trudged to try and find a doctor and, you know, they would portray them as noble and there'd be that tinkly piano music, that sort of summon tears, Muzak crap. And people would then say, oh, there's all these people, they can't get health care and uh, what do we have to do? We've got to give them health care. And the Republicans, of course, would be portrayed as monstrous who are ripping the insulin from the veins of diabetics and, and, and so on. It would just be a mess. And because people can't think, what do you do when you can't think and you have to make a decision? Well, you feel. You feel rather than think. In other words, animals feel, humans think. To, to live only on your feelings is to live worse than an animal because an animal can't be blamed for living only on its instincts because animals only have instincts. <laughs> to work on, whereas human beings have reason and evidence to work on. So to descend to the animal is to neither be animal nor human. It is to be a zombie. It is to be an NPC. It is to be a program, pre-programmed void. And so if you want to control people, what you want to do is you want to take away their capacity to reason. And why do we need to reason? We need to reason so that we can defer gratification. And if you can't reason, then you just go off emotion. And if you go off emotion, then you can be very easily programmed, right? The NPC meme or, or idea is simply what goes on when people feel rather than think. And you teach people, or you don't teach people how to think, or you viciously attack their natural capacity to think. And then what happens is they have to go off feelings. Now, it's hard to make arguments in the public sphere. It's hard to gather all the necessary data together. It's hard to... Uh, get the facts, it's hard to get the experts, it's hard to make the arguments, and it's hard to hit the blowback for people who suffer from the trueness of your arguments. However, if you can just follow sad-eyed people around, if they have trouble getting health care and play tinkly soft piano music, well, you don't have to make an argument, because it's an appeal to sentimentality. And to me, I tell you, this is very important for me, and I hope it is for you as well. What is, what is civilization? Well, civilization, fundamentally, is the willingness to defer gratification. It's to grit your teeth and say, I'm going to suffer through this problem in order to have a much greater benefit later on. So if someone is making an argument that you find unbelievably offensive, then you want to shut that person down. I mean, there's a natural instinct to do that, right? But you say, well, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going, to, I'm going to let this guy make his terrible arguments. Even if he has a big platform and I have a tiny or no platform, I'm, just, I'm going to let him make 
his absolutely terrible arguments. Because if I focus on shutting him down, then I'm giving some central agency the power, the capacity to shut people down. And next thing you know, that power, that agency, that censorship is going to be used against me. So there's an example of civilization being the capacity to defer gratification. I want to shut this guy down, but I don't want that to be set as a precedent. I don't want that to be set as a precedent because someone's going to find what I say offensive unless I'm cripplingly unoriginal or part of the mainstream media, but I repeat myself. So there's, there's an, if a guy is doing something that is, is um, yeah, offensive, you, you let him do it. You let him do it. Deferral of gratification is essential. And the one thing that is different to me between the left and the right is the right is better at deferring gratification. Now, that has a lot to do with Christianity. <laughs> deferring animal lusts and preferences and needs and hedonism, materialism, deferring all of that until you get to heaven in the afterlife, well, that churns the old muscle. It works the old muscle of deferring gratification almost as far as it can go. And Christianity is very powerful that way in terms of deferring gratification. It's not an accident that a lot of the great benefits of Western civilization came out of Christian countries because Christianity really helps train that muscle to defer gratification. Separation of church and state. You know, if you're a religious group and you believe that that yours is the right and the way and the one and the truth and everyone else is a blasphemer and evil, and then you, you are tempted by the ring of power of the state, right? You want the state to give you the keys to the kingdom and let you impose your religious views on everyone else because you're right, they're wrong. And if they're considered right and you're considered wrong, people go to hell forever and that's terrible. The, the, the Satan wins. So you want, desperately want, to gain control of state apparatus to impose your view of religion. But you understand, if you're smart, you say, well, if the government can dictate religion, I can't guarantee for sure that I'm going to get that ring of power or that I'm going to get to keep that ring of power, even if I get it now. Someone else is going to come and try and take it from me. So let's just have open religion. It's also the seen versus the unseen. It's another intelligence test that I think that the right is better at than the left. The right is more free market. The left is more socialistic, right? Sorry, (laughs) I can't use the word right. It's banned in all of this. Now, when it comes to the free market, it is really all about deferring gratification. So there's an old saying, you've probably heard it, or maybe you have. I don't know if old sayings are even that common anymore, but there's an old, because we get our wisdom or our pretend wisdom from the internet rather than from the old sayings of people rather long in the tooth. So the free market, there's a saying that says, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Right? And that means if you have something, you should hold on to it rather than risk trying to get something that could be greater or better. And that conservatism of wanting to have what you already have rather than risk something new is actually shifted more to the left and to the right, I believe, because the free market is very much around sacrificing for particular groups immediate economic gain for the sake of greater economic gain 
down the road for, for society as a whole and for other people. And you, obviously, the, the classic example is, well, there used to be a Pony Express and then there came a telegraph, right? The telegraph. And then there came the telephone and then there came the internet and Navy. So there was all of these. And now everyone who invested in the Pony Express, you, you bought a whole bunch of ponies and then the telegraph came along and it's like, well... I guess they're food for smog now because the ponies don't do you that much good. Think, of course, of the uh, horse and carriage industry. The, one of the great environmental hazards of the 19th century were the flies and the, the um, various nasty insects that would be constantly floating around cities because cities were half-coated in horse crap. And you had to shovel it, you had to get rid of it. It, it covered everything. The stink was abominable and the disease that the flies brought and shared it was, were abominable and all that. So when the horse and carriage industry began to be displaced by the car industry, well, the, the horse and carriage guys were upset, right? They, they tooled their whole factory. They'd got their whole business. They had all these horses. And what are you going to do with them now? I guess uh, next stop glue. But um, so there's an immediate sacrifice and a visible pain, right? All the people in the horse carriages getting laid off. All of the investors in the horse and buggy industry are, are, are losing money. And it's just, it's terrible. And, and you can see those people, they're caterwauling, they're wailing, they're running to the government to protect and save them and so on. And of course, what you say is, well, how, how are we going to have cars? I mean, we can't have cars because we barely have any roads. And of course, once you have cars and you get roads fairly quickly, although roads as a whole were a government program under Dwight Eisenhower, um, in order to be able to transport the army around in case of a nuclear war. And so the interstate highway system was a government program. It's still being paid off, believe it or not. Well, not that it ever will be. But um, we don't know how the free market in cars would have worked because it was all run by the government. Well, the, uh, the interstate highway stuff was all run by the government, which created a much more spread out society, which created dependence on foreign oil, which then turned against America when the Saudis and other Middle Eastern countries stole all of the oil after the Allies were weakened after the Second World War and then used it to fund Wahhabism and jihadism all over the world and all over the West. So thanks, environmentalists. It's sure great that you can't drill for oil in the West because now you get to hand money to all of these terrible theocracies that use it to fund terrorism. Yay. <laughs> sad, sad, sad. So... The visible suffering, when there's a free market transition, the visible suffering that you see of all the people who are losing their jobs and all the investors who are losing their money and all of the unhappiness and blah, 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 right? All of that is terrible. And you can't see all of the good stuff that's coming down the road because it's just kind of tipping and transitioning. And so because you can't see the good stuff, you can only see the bad stuff that's happening in the here and now. You can't see the good stuff that's to come. Best yet, it's the seen versus the unseen you have a tendency to say, oh, man, these horse and buggy people, they're really sad. You know, people are losing a lot of money. They're getting laid off. Their kids don't have enough to eat. It's terrible. And we've got to freeze time. We've got to stop everything. We've got to stop everything and make sure that these guys don't lose their jobs, right? Because you can't see the new jobs that are coming with the car. You can't see the efficiency. You can't see all of that, right? You can't. And nobody can. And that's why to be human means to live by principle, not to live by example, not to live by empiricism alone, not to live by, well, somebody's suffering, so we got to make him feel better. That's not kindness. You know, if, if a drunk uh, really wants another drink, you shouldn't give it to him. He's going to be really unhappy if you don't give it to him. So if you give it to him because you don't like to see him suffer, all you're doing is guaranteeing an escalation of future suffering. And if you look at the history of the West really over the last hundred years, a lot of it, my friends, has been around this basic problem of we can't stand to see people suffer. 
We can't stand to see people suffer. And that is guaranteeing the greatest suffering of all. That is guaranteeing the greatest suffering of all. You know, like if you're a parent and your kid's complaining of tooth pain or whatever, and it's not just like stuff falling out and being replaced, you say, well, you know, you really don't like the dentist, so I'm not taking you to the dentist because that's going to make you suffer. Well, what happens is the rot gets worse and deeper and bad, could go into the bone, you're swallowing all this bacteria. It's, you know, I don't want to see you suffer guarantees the greatest suffering at all. If you look at diets, right, you suffer when you're on a diet. The idea it's some magic diet where you, you always feel full and you're always happy. No, it sucks. It sucks, you know. I mean, I, I had to, I lost like 25 pounds, like 10, nine or, yeah, about nine or 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, you can't ever go back. You can't go back at all. You just can't. And, you know, yeah, I still miss cookies. I have the four C's, right? Cookies, chocolate, uh, chips, and candy. Yeah. Um, n- nice stuff. And, uh, you know, I have a nibble every now and then. Like I had a tiny piece of my daughter's Halloween candy, uh, chocolate the other day. And yeah, a little nibble. But you just, you can't go back. I can never go back to the way that I used to eat. My Mr. Big and orange snack, which I had, can't do it. it. And so you don't want the little suffering, so you get the big suffering. You can't stand the little suffering, so you get the big suffering. Like I had, uh, I had this weird thing today. I went in, uh, my knee, knee's almost better, but I just want to make sure it doesn't have any scar tissue from where I, I banged it in St. Louis. So I went into the physiotherapist and they attached, I don't know if you've ever had this done, it's pretty wild. I, I had just electrical stimulation last time, which is like they've loosed a bunch of semi-rabid, half-drunk fire ants underneath your skin. But this one was different because what they did was they pumped electricity directly into my muscles, or as I like to call it, the electrical storm of demonic possession, because you actually, I lost control of my body. It was kind of a funny thing because, you know, I talked about all the self-ownership stuff and all of that. And um, so they put this, electrical stuff on my knee and cranked it and he cranked it pretty high and I'm like dude you got to scale it back I'm gonna end up uh, doing a, a high kick like a rocket audition and uh, my daughter was there and she could see all the muscles moving underneath the, the velcro like underneath the thing on, on top of the goo and I'm like wow and she says can you stop that and I said no I've actually no control over my knee at the moment the, the muscles are being and he said yes we are bypassing the brain we are just going directly to the muscles activating the muscles bypassing the brain. And I couldn't help but think, man, that's a pretty good analogy for propaganda. You strap on the mainstream media, run the electrical impulses of hysterical outrage, bypass the brain, activate the muscles directly, and people lose control of their minds. They lose control of their bodies. They lose control of their fight or flight mechanism. They lose control of their cortisol levels. Uh, They lose control of themselves. And he was saying, that uh, he says, you know, it's good that you came in. It wasn't a big injury, but, you know, we want to make sure that you don't end up with any little scar tissue and all that. And he said, you know, because a lot of people, they take everything for granted until they have an accident, right? So, you know, some guy doesn't exercise for 10 years or whatever, and then he lifts up a TV or something. It's like, you know, it just messes up his back or something. And then that can be like, that's permanent, right? Could be, right? Could be. I mean, every day I've known some people with back problems, particularly guys, and, you know, every day you don't have a back problem is a good day. I don't, but I work out for hours a week. But he was saying you take it for granted. And then when something's wrong, he said the number of people that I hear in my office who were like, oh, man, I really should have exercised more. Oh, man, I really should have done that. I really should have done that. And they, they're kicking themselves. And, of course, by then it's too late, right? So they didn't want the little suffering of exercise because, you know, let's face it, exercise is pretty boring, <laughs> 
it's now you know squash tennis that kind of stuff skiing great you know that's fun but exercise as a whole you know moving weights in a dark room underground <laughs> it's really not that deal. bike machine i'm on the road to nowhere okay that wasn't quite singing but anyway um you, you you don't want to get the little suffering of exercise, and so you get the big suffering of osteoporosis. And I think on the right, they're much better at deferring gratification and be able to handle suffering. And it's a male-female thing, too. Don't, like, like, it's a male-female thing as well. Because women have a very, very tough time with suffering. And, I mean, this is true for just about all the women that I know, which uh, it's anecdotal, but I think we'll all agree that, um, that that's a fairly big deal. And, and it makes sense, right? Because women are there to keep reality away from the death magnets of early childhood, right? So, and if a child falls, like if a toddler falls down the stairs, it's not the toddler's fault. It's your fault for not childproofing your stairs, right? You do those gates or whatever, right? So, Women can't stand to see suffering because when women who are in charge of toddlerhood, when suffering occurs, it's the woman's fault. It's the woman's fault, right? I mean, again, I know there's lots of exceptions, but just in general, if, if the baby rolls off the change table and plunges onto the ground, that's not the baby's fault for not listening and not being careful and not being aware of its, uh, his or her surroundings. That's the mom's fault. And so when there's suffering that occurs for women with toddlerhood and so on, it's the mom, like they feel terrible. Whereas for men, who generally, there's a sort of transition point in ancient times, and I think it also exists in Jewish law, which is like if a couple splits up, if the kids are seven or so, or younger, then they go to the mom. If they're, you know, seven and a half or older, they go to the dad. Because this kind of half hysterical, no one can suffer aspect of feminine impulses is, is fantastic for toddlers. It's great. For, it's necessary to keep toddlers alive. But when kids get older, they need to spread their wings. They need to stretch their capacities. They need to fail. They need to fall. They need to get bloody knees. They need to, all the strawberry knees. You, you need all of that stuff. You need to fall off your bike. It's, that way you become less nervous about pain. You get more comfortable and confident at what it is that you can do in life. And um, I remember I was about nine or 10. I, I moved to, oh, I was moved. I was like, I moved. I was a kid. I was moved to Canada when I was 11. And I remember being in, uh, this was also my, um, one of my early lessons about cockiness, which was uh, I was in a game of tag and I was in a um, playground, which had uh, sort of concrete and then it did these metal fences around it. And I was I was a fast kid. I'm still a pretty fast runner, but I'm getting a little bit creakier as I pass a half century. But I was a fast runner as a kid, and I I remember I would I would run so fast I'd literally feel like the Flintstones, like you know those invisible legs, and I'd feel like I was flying, like my feet barely touched the ground, my forward momentum was so high. And I remember there was some older kid. He had like a head on me in terms of height, and. I was running from him. He was trying to tag me. I was running. I was. Oh, I shouldn't laugh. I was running from him, and I could outrun him. And he was like, "You, you got to be kidding me! Like, I can't, I can't catch this kid, right?" And I was just a blur, and I was rocketing along. And I, I turned around, and I was going to mock him, right? And I turned around just to see how far I was ahead, and maybe you know, make it 
smug face or something like that. <laughs> That's your gift. And then I turned and looked ahead of me, and because I was running so fast, I basically, the, the, the metal fence was like here, and dong, I went into the metal fence, and I had, uh, you know, this is the thinnest spot of bone. Sorry, this is the thinnest spot. It's not the cartilage. The thinnest spot of skin on your body is right here on the bridge of your nose, as far as I understand it. And, man, it bled like a stuck pig, like a geyser, like Old Faithful. It was just spraying out. Now, I didn't actually break my nose and, and so on. I, mean, I had to go to the hospital and they gave me some tape and all of that. But that was sort of my don't be smug, don't... Uh, a premature victory is no victory at all, you know, like, like, don't, don't try and win and then run circles around someone because, you know, that was sort of, hey, I look back and next thing you know, I wasn't looking where I was going and my very speed, which had been my strength, became my weakness, you understand, right? So kids need to go through that. I learned a great life lesson from that and uh, other ways in which I injured myself. Uh, uh, I, and so you need that. And if you ever want to look at something interesting, I posted this a while back ago on Twitter. Look at playgrounds from the turn of the last century. I mean, they are insane. Like, it's concrete. They, like, go up three stories of girders and stuff, and their kids just running and atop. And, you know, that's how it used to, uh, that's how it used to be. So consequences is another thing as well. When... I talk about parenting with people. The traditional thing is that the mom wants to prevent negative consequences. And the dad is saying, let the negative consequences accrue to the child, and that's how the child will learn. Right? So uh, I was talking to a family the other day, and the kid, they were having trouble getting their kid to go up. They were homeschooling, of course, and so they were having trouble getting their child to get out of bed and, and get ready for the tutor who, who came, they, the, the tutor they met somewhere. And she was like, I've got it. I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of having these fights. And I got, it's like, why, why do you need to get her up? It's like, because she's got to go to the tutor. It's like, okay, yeah, all right. Well, let's say she's got to go to the tutor, right? So who pays for the tutor, right? And the parents said, well, I pay for the, uh, for the tutor. And I said, well, Someone has to pay for the tutor for sure. Now, if you have an appointment and you forget about it, like if I had not gone to my physiotherapy appointment, they would have charged me, right? Because I didn't show up for my appointment. So I don't like your kid's old enough now. Your kid gets allowance. Your kid has all of this stuff. So why don't you just do it this way? You say to your kid, listen, you, you don't have to get up to go to tutoring. But if you miss tutoring, then we're taking the cost of the tutor out of your savings or out of your... Um, your allowance or whatever, right? So that way you don't have to fight. You're empowering the kid. It's choices and consequences. That's all you want. And you don't want that when they're toddlers, right? <laughs> you don't want that when they're toddlers. Like if they're pulling at some pot of boiling water, you know, well, he'll learn. It's like, no, he, he'll burn. <laughs> he won't learn, he'll burn. So, but as they get older, it's, it's choices and consequences. I mean, all, that's all life is. I can choose to do a show. I can choose not to do a show. I can choose to uh, talk about Jewishness, or I can choose not to talk about Jewish. Like I can make choices, and there are consequences of those choices. That's all life is when you're an adult, right? But people who make bad choices desperately want to evade the consequences. Like if you if your house burns down and you you didn't buy fire insurance, you feel terrible. You kick yourself. You're mad at yourself. And those people are desperate to avoid the negative consequences, and it's understandable. It's understandable. And you can't have a civilization 
if people get to escape negative consequences, you just can't. I mean, just think about it in terms of fire insurance. If you phone up the fire insurance company and say, hey, man, my house burnt down. I didn't buy any fire insurance, but I was wondering if you could just cover me anyway. They have to say no. Because if they say yes, there's no insurance industry anymore. Right? This is the Obamacare thing. You understand, right? Because if they say yes, and the word gets around, as it will, that the fire insurance company will pay out claims, even if you don't buy any insurance from them, then everybody will stop buying insurance and you won't have an insurance industry anymore. You have to let negative consequences accrue to people or you don't have a civilization. Like, I'm sorry, man. I, some of these public sector workers, not just public sector workers, but some of these public sector workers, they're like 100 pounds, 150 pounds overweight. And don't tell me it's glandular or it's a metabolism or you're just big boned. No. Dragons are big boned, you're fat. And the fatness came from making particular choices, and now there are consequences. And you don't want to accept those consequences. I get that. Of course you don't. You let yourself get fat, you didn't exercise, you ate poorly. And that was fun. That was fun. Right? Of course it was. Of course it was. And the fun that you had by eating Cheetos, sitting on the couch and Netflix binging, was fun. And that fun can't be transferred to anyone else. Anyone else. Nobody else can get that fun. But everyone else who exercised, who ate well, who was responsible, well, they make more money, usually, or they have more savings because they don't need to spend as much on food and clothing and health care. So you can tax good decisions, but you can't tax bad decisions. So think of two brothers, right? One brother goes to night school, gets his education, gets a great job, and it's hard work, man. I mean, it's hard work, and he travels, and he works nights, and right? So he ends up making 100 grand a year. Now his other brother goes out and parties and drinks and sleeps around and, you know, gets STDs and whatever, right? And ends up making like 20 grand a year, right? So 10 years down the road, the government can go to the brother making $100,000 a year and can take some of that money and can give it to the other brother who's not making much. But... They can't go back in time and take the fun that the poor brother had and give it to the richer brother. And that's the fundamental imbalance. Money can be transferred. Fun cannot be. So if you can get the fun and the money, why on earth would you go for the money, which isn't that much fun? It isn't that much fun. Why would you bother? So the left and the right are very, very different. And yes, the left has a lot more to do with women. So here's a quote. I think this is from Fox. When you look at the record early voting, sorry, when you look at the record early voting, you also see a gender gap that is also giving Democrats high hopes because women voters are far more likely to support Democrats than men are. In fact, according to a Quinnipiac University poll, women voters prefer Democrats over Republicans 58% to 42%. In sharp contrast, men prefer Republican candidates by a margin of 50% to 33%. That is pretty bad. So women are almost twice as likely to prefer Democrats to men preferring Republicans. Well, women are net takers in the tax redistribution system. A study out of New Zealand, I think, put women at about 150,000 plus. They they got 150,000 more out of the system than they paid in taxes. So, sure, 
if you're getting free stuff, it's kind of tempting to vote for more free stuff. Whereas the men are paying for it. So men don't want to, uh, to pay for it. And this is the funny thing about identity politics. It's really strange, my friends. And because at the same time, it's sexism and it's racism to judge women or blacks, say, or Hispanics and assign them any average group characteristics. That's racist, by God. It's evil, it's wrong, it's collectivist, it's nasty. You can never justly ascribe any general group characteristics to women, blacks, Hispanics, you name it. Well, you can, of course, to whites called white privilege, but that's a topic for another time. But here's the funny thing. These, do, these groups do act en masse as a whole. You know, I say this to women, say this to Hispanics, say this to blacks. If you want to stop being judged collectively, how about you start acting individually? Right? 90% of blacks uh, vote uh, for Democrats. I think it was 97% or something for Obama. So if you're anti-Obama, it's kind of tough to avoid noticing that blacks are not helping your cause, so to speak, right? And if you want a smaller government, it's impossible to avoid noticing that women who live longer and vote more in terms of quantity and quality or in terms of numbers and length. Well, if you want Republicans, sorry, women ain't your friends. If you want Republicans, Hispanics ain't your friends. If you want Republicans... Blacks ain't your friends. Oh, you can't judge any group by general characteristics. It's like, yeah, you can. You can. In fact, you must. If the numbers support it. If the numbers support it, then yes, you must. If women are twice as likely to vote for Democrats as men are to vote for Republicans... Oh, so it's men out to vote for, for uh, sorry, I got that messed up. Let me just go over the numbers again, because I'm doing math on the fly, which never works for me, ever. <laughs> All right. Women voters prefer Democrats over Republicans 58% to 42%. Men prefer Republican candidates by a margin of 50% to 33%. So what I mean by that is men prefer Democrats 33% of the time. Women, women prefer Democrats 58% of the time. So it's close to twice. That's sort of what I want to get, right? So... The groups do act in a collectivist manner. And the left, who screams racism and sexism at anyone who points out these general characteristics, is in fact relying on these general characteristics in order to maintain, maintain power. So they say, you can't assess the political leanings of any collectivist group. By the way, we're going to import these collectivist groups who vote for us because we know that they're reliable voter bases for the left. So the only reason that the left changed immigration from Europe to the third world was because they knew that third worlders were going to vote for the left. So they had a collectivist judgment of expected behavior from a general group, and then they say, well, you can't have collectivist judgment of expected behavior from a general group. That's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> of course, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And... Women get resources from men throughout history. And so women can't say no to free stuff any more than men can say no to free sex. It's just, I know I've said it before, but it's just the way biology has wired us up to be. Yes, there will be some women who can say no to free stuff. And yes, there will be some men who can say no to free sex. But that's not, you know, you can swim against the tide, but there's still a tide. <laughs> you have to swim harder 
to swim against the tide. So when it comes to tomorrow, if you get your resources from reality, from hard work, from voluntary interactions, from the free market, you're going to vote Republican because you want lower taxes, you want a smaller government, you want more money in your pocket. Because voting for the Republicans, if you have a job that is, I don't mean like a job, like a pretend job, like most government jobs, like if you have a real job in the free market, you want to keep more of your stuff. Of course you do. So you're going to vote Republican. If you are a Democrat or if you get, that's a bit of a circular argument. Let me just rephrase that. Hey, all this fun live stream. No edits. (laughs) So if you get your resources primarily from controlling other people, then, of course, you're going to vote for the left. It's simply who ends up with more money in their pocket, which is not to say that there's no principles on either side, but the principles sometimes can be a rather thin veneer for the base financial interest, which is if you are working in the free market and paying taxes, you want a smaller government and lower taxes because you can fund your own damn lifestyle, and you don't want a bunch of people pecking at your wallet from here to eternity. On the other hand, if you get your money from the government, you want higher taxes because you're not A, you're not paying any, and B, it means there's more money to give to you. More money to give to you. So you want higher taxes. And generally, if you are being productive in the free market, you're smarter, you've made better decisions. And if you are reliant upon the government for your money, you're dumber and and, or you've made worse decisions. So whatever you tax, you diminish. Whatever you subsidize, you increase. When you tax good decisions and you subsidize bad decisions, you end up in a society where fewer people make good decisions and more and more people make bad decisions. And where does that end? So it used to be, back in the day, that if a woman got pregnant from the wrong guy, she got pregnant, they weren't married, it was a big mess, big mess. And particularly when abortions were hard to obtain or illegal, she'd be sent away, or they'd give birth and and they'd pretend it was a oopsie menopause baby from the mom or whatever but it was a big mess big disaster and so and the parents would end up having to fund it or they'd have to force the guy to marry her or whatever but you know if that didn't work out so because the the parents would have to fund the raising of the baby and it would destroy their daughter's sexual market value the parents were very focused on controlling the sexuality of teenagers, right? You'd have chaperones, they'd have rules like you can't close the door to your bedroom or you've always got to have at least one foot on the floor or <laughs> something like that. And that's how society used to work. Now, of course, the woman who makes a bad decision gets pregnant by the wrong guy. She desperately wants a welfare state. She desperately like Because if she's got a welfare state, the baby becomes an asset rather than a liability because she gets extra money from the baby that the boyfriend can spend, right? As opposed to without the welfare state, a baby is a liability and therefore her sexual market value enormously declines because she comes with costs rather than, quote, profits, right? So the women want the welfare state who make bad decisions, and that's perfectly understandable. And it's completely disastrous. (laughs) Perfectly understandable, completely disastrous. That is the history of the last 70 years in the West. So I think that's what the stake is. Do you want productive people who are rewarded for making good decisions? And it is highly encouraging to me when you look at the millions and millions of jobs that have been created. Since Trump came in, it's enormously positive to me that so many people 
were desperate to have jobs and jumped off the couch and got jobs and are relieved and happy and positive and productive out there in the workforce. Now, that's a disaster for the left because the more people who are out there in the workforce paying taxes, the fewer people want all these endless redistributions because now you're on the paying side rather than the receiving side. That's why they hate this. Now, somebody had a question. I think that's basically what I wanted to say, that uh, if you can handle seeing suffering for the greater good, understandable, if you can handle letting people learn from the accruing of the consequences of themselves, great. If you're comfortable with math, great. If you get your resources from voluntary interactions in the free market, great. You're more likely to vote Republican, and that's where the gap is. So, All right. I'm going to start turning to some questions. I'm sorry for those people. Uh, maybe you missed the part where I said no super chats for a little bit, if you don't mind, because um, I do need to... Uh, uh, I wanted to get my little rant across. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I just, I so much prefer, it's kind of weird. Maybe you guys can explain it to me. I, you know, I could have done that as a solo, but it's just more fun to chat with you guys. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's really what I'm doing. All right. What do we got here? Super chats. Oh, look at that. We've got lots of people watching. Very nice to see. And let's see here. Where are my top chats? All right. Sorry, if you did the super chat, then uh, just drop it in. And somebody did ask, what do you say about those who have this argument that Barack Obama was the guy who created all of this economic growth, all the policies he put in place? Well, what policies? What policies did Barack Obama put in place that these wise people think contributed so much, so much, to the economic growth? I mean, he said, Barack Obama said, hey, man, those, those manufacturing jobs, there's no magic behind it. They're not coming back. So he said he didn't know how to create these jobs that are being created. So the idea that he – and look, if you, if you double the national debt, yeah, it's pretty easy to end up with um, some pretend economic growth. You know, like, hey, man, why do you have a job? Why do you have a job, man? Because you could just live off your credit cards. It's like, you really can't for very long. So, yeah, just ask people, you know, what specific stuff did Obama do that created economic growth? I mean, it's it's silly, right? <laughs> I assume he looked at Elizabeth Warren sitting next to a teepee and said, you didn't build that. Okay, Mac and Liberty, let's get into some super chats. Mac and Liberty, thank you for your support, said, have you heard of Savannah Maddox running for Kentucky State Kentucky State rep as Republican and the ad being run against her by her male opponent saying she's unfit for office because she left the workforce to be a mom? I have not. I have not. And that <laughs> sort of reminds me of when I had a go at the um, Prime Minister of New Zealand uh, who had had a kid and went back to work. And I said, well, then she can't be as good a mom. And it's like people went insane. And the woman who was interviewing me said, are you saying she can't be a good mom? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not what I said. It's not what I said. She can't be as good a mom. Of course she can't, right? She left the workforce to be a mom. Ah, yes. Well, you see, why would the Democrat opponent say that? Right? Because, you know, it's all supposed to be about choices for women and so on. But why do the feminists hate or the leftists hate women? who um, leave the workforce to go be a mom. Well, that's pretty clear, right? The reason why 
is that the only, usually the only reason that they can do that is because their husband is supporting them. And if a woman is dependent upon her husband, as women throughout human history and evolution almost inevitably and invariably were, if a woman is dependent upon her husband to give her resources because she's up, like, childhood is unbelievably brutal on women. I mean, for those of you who aren't parents and who haven't seen this kind of up close, I mean, nature is a real which would the capital B in terms of what she puts women through just to make the next generation? I mean, you know, the body distortions, the episiotomies, the, uh, the sleeplessness, the breast uh, feeding. The, I mean, it's brutal. Making human beings is like, <laughs> you know, it's like it's horrible. And not to mention, you know, before they got the periods and the uh, hormones and the moodiness. And then they've got after um, their fertility window closes, they get menopause and hot flashes and hormonal imbalances. Like, you know, men are basically just pyramids you know we just sit there we erode a little bit but basically we just sit there with the same shape year after year but oh man it's brutal on women so if a woman is dependent upon her husband then she's not dependent on the state she's dependent upon a man making money and if she's dependent upon a man making money then she wants taxes to be lower and this is borne out statistically that married women are far less supportive of the democrats and single moms right so that would make sense as to why that uh, horrible lie would uh, would go on. All right. Oh, I'm coming in here. Let's see if we can get all this going. All right. And Alchemy5150 says, Why do people living in cities tend to vote for the left? Every election, the cities are either bright blue or purple, while the suburbs or rural areas are red. What a great freaking question. You guys are great. I mean, I've thought about this. And so, for one thing, I mean, there's some basic facts about it. So, for one thing, government workers, where do they live? Government workers tend to live in the cities. They don't tend to live in the country because it's a long way to commute. It's icky. Uh, there are thorns and, and bugs. So government workers live in cities, so government workers tend to vote left, of course, right, because they are feeding off. You know, they, they, want, they want a bigger buffet because they're not cooking anything. They're just eating. <laughs> they're loathsome, spotty behinds. So I think that's one fact. Um, the other thing, too, and this is around the question of immigration, right? So with regards to immigration, immigrants don't disperse around the country, right? Immigrants settle in cities. But, I mean, third world immigrants, I mean, if you get a bunch of white South African farmers coming in or any color South African farmers coming in, they're probably going to settle in the country, right? Because they want to be farmers. But most immigrants will come and settle in the cities, right? And they tend to congregate, right? There's no diversity. I mean, everyone just congregates in their own little enclave. Surprise, surprise! Human beings, a tribal species. Who would have guessed looking at history or evolution or facts or reality? So immigrants will tend to settle in the cities and in particular enclaves. And immigrants vote en masse. You know, I remember this from when I was a teenager. Um, my um, One of my high school teachers was running for office, and he was pretty terrible at it, but I just remember uh, there was this uh, ethnic candidate, let's say. I won't get into any details. This ethnic candidate. And I saw all the buses pulling up, and they were just wheeling out all of these ethnic old women and old men, and, and they didn't even speak English, and they just were pointing, you know, check here, check here, check. Our guy, our guy, our guy. That's all it is. People just vote according to race, according to ethnicity. It's nothing to do with democracy. It's just a civilized form of civil war. It's all it is. So because... Third world immigrants in general will congregate into cities and will settle into their little enclaves where they resist any kind of assimilation. That's another reason why 
cities tend to vote for the left. And another reason, of course, is that if you're out in the country, you tend to work with real things, with, you know, you, you, you're, you're um, putting up fences, you're mowing lawns, you're raising cattle, you're like, if you're out in the country, you're actually working not just with your hands, but you're working with real things in the real world. And that's tough. It's tough to maintain an otherworldly ideology if you're out there cutting down trees for a living. I mean, you, you can't choose to disbelieve in reality. You can't get into all this existential angst and so on. And, you know, there's a reason why I talk about my time working up north, working with, because that's real, that's prosaic, basic, factual, empirical reality. <clears throat> and you can't mess around. You can't not pay attention. You can't, I mean, there were a couple of times I could have died working up there if I hadn't paid attention. <clears throat> and that ain't going to happen if you're working in a lobbyist's office typing away on a keyboard. You know, like you can make up stuff, your primary primary focus and, and your primary um, source of, of revenue and resources is language, manipulation, other people. You're not working with reality. You're controlling people as a whole. This even occurs in office politics and, and you know, the sort of CXO level. And I've seen some of that sort of stuff. There is a lot of politics that goes on. And that's all about manipulating people, not working with bare factual reality where there are serious consequences if you make a mistake like you get injured you 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 could die and so because people in cities often work where they're the, the strip the resource that they're strip mining is other people's opinions and perspectives whereas out in the country you tend to work with reality with facts with empirical evidence and you don't really have as much time for crappy anti-reality theories of blah 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 so i think that has something to do with it as well maybe there's more let me know what you think hi steph what are your perspectives on brazil's movement for freedom oh yes it's very cool and it's interesting what's going on in iran right now thanks for all the spam mails everyone but um yeah it is uh it is very powerful it is very powerful it's part of the internet. It's part of people just waking up from programming and it's seeing, uh, of course, you know, if, if you don't speak Spanish and, and live or Portuguese and live right next door to some place like uh, Venezuela, well, it's kind of abstract. It's kind of distant. It's kind of far off. But these people are seeing this nightmare of socialism and central planning right up front. So Brazil is very cool. Uh, I, I did some speeches there many years ago. I was invited down by Brazilian libertarians who were just a fantastic group of people. And thanks again for the invite. Let's do it again. Call me. But um, I think it's fantastic. And, well, I guess I'm ambivalent, come to think of it, sort of looking at my own feelings. I'm very happy that it's happening. I wish it wasn't happening. Like, for once, it would be nice if it wasn't happening because there was a huge disaster that was occurring. You know what I mean? It'd be nice if, if people could... Could, could choose to choose freedom before they were staring right down the endless spice worm more of socialism. So I wish them the very best, and if there's anything I can do to help. Captain Spire. Oh, you got to have a middle initial called A, don't you think? So Captain Spire says, what good is having gold stock offshore accounts and a massive portfolio when things get as bad as New Orleans after the levees broke? How can anyone prepare for such catastrophic failures? Well, um, that is a good question. New Orleans is a very, 
unusual situation in that it's been it was kind of walled off by the state. It was run like the the state was responsible for the levies and so on. You had a very low IQ population as a whole, uh, and and particularly those who decided to stay were probably below even the average of uh, the groups there. So that is a I don't think that that's going to be something that's going to be reproduced enormously uh, around the rest of the world. And you always have choices. You really want to maintain your capacity to have as many choices as possible. So, yeah, you do want to have some food in your basement. You do want to have a water supply that is independent of uh, the sewage system as a whole or, or the plumbing system as a whole in your city or town. And you do, But you also want to have good relationships with your neighbors. You want to have done favors for each other. You want to get along. You want to, you know, so that you have people that you can band together and can mutually support each other. And so... I think it is worth pursuing those things. There's no point, well, I'm not going to accumulate any wealth, you might say, because things might go to hell in a handbasket, but wealth is going to give you choices. Gold is going to give you choices. There may be places you can go. There may be um, other areas you can go. There could be any number of things that could occur that would give you choices. And it doesn't guarantee you're going to have those choices, but it's better to have even the possibility of those choices rather than no choices at all. But yeah, work on your relationships. All right, Douglas Agostinho says, an idea disturbs me, the parallel between the Tower of Babel and globalism. Are the male instincts that will confuse the tongues and bring down the tower? That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of that way of looking at things. So, I'm going off memory here, but my memory of the story of the Tower of Babel is that a bunch of people got together and wanted to build a tower up to heaven. And they were getting closer. And then what God did was he struck them with different cultures, different languages, different perspectives, different religions. And then they squabbled amongst each other and never finished the tower. And uh, that's where we, I think that's where we get the word Babel. Is that from? Because you just can't, you know, somebody else a foreign language sounds like Babel and so on. And it's a very powerful story. Because to me, that's a story of philosophy being fragmented by religion. Because philosophy is everyone's unified under reason and evidence. The language stuff is less important than reason and evidence. And under philosophy, people are able to build to an enormous height, and they get close enough to see whether there's a God or not, which is philosophy approaching the question of the existence of God, which I've done many times in this show. Now, to me, it's not God who strikes back in reality. It is the priesthood, the priestly classes that strike back. And they would rather be the rulers of a small group than the anti-rational members of a larger philosophical society. And so I do think that human progress is splintered by particular problems in culture and, and language. Language less so than culture, especially now that there's the babble fish of being able to talk about, uh, you know, you just speak into your phone and have it translate on the fly and you get translators to, to sort of pop in. So I do think that the Tower of Babel is an example of uh, once you, you you can't work together productively once you end up with different cultures, languages, and perspectives all together. And that's very much borne out by the research that Robert Putnam did these studies. And he sat on the, the results of these studies for like half a decade. He was so appalled about how horrible and isolated and empty and cocoony diverse neighborhoods are. And even people with, if you're in a diverse neighborhood, then... Even among your own ethnic group, there's far less trust, and, and the kids don't play together, and everybody stays home. And, you know, obesity, and to me, obesity and diversity kind of go hand in hand. And to me, it was kind of telling that when I grew up in England in the early to mid-70s, 
it was very rare to see a non-white person and I could play anywhere and go anywhere at a very early age. I remember at the age of seven getting on a bus and, and just tootling off to go to see a movie or, or to go swimming and never had a moment's concern about <clears throat> crime or problems. And then when uh, it was, I think, in the, in the mid, uh, mid, mid to late 70s, I left in 77, the mid to late 70s, um, the Pakistanis came flowing in. I think there was some window that was closing on their passport and so on. And the third world began pouring into uh, England. And then the la- well, very shortly before I was going to leave for Canada, my family was going to leave for Canada, I was going down to the War Museum for one last look around of the museum I loved uh, as a kid. And uh, my friends and I uh, were all robbed by a very merry group of black youths. Um, they, they, they were very comfortable with it. They were very pleased with it. They had no particular issue. They were smiling through the whole time. It was just a fun form of predation. And we couldn't pursue it legally because we believe in the country. And um, yeah, that was a bit, of a, a bit of a turnover. And it's something I noticed right away. I never had a thought about criminality or crime or being stolen from or mugged or anything like that when I was a kid. And then, yeah, the time that it happened, uh, the first time, was yeah, a bunch of black kids just, yeah, we're going to take your stuff. And uh, we had no bus fare, and we had to beg for a bus fare to get home. And, and that was it. That was the uh, reality. Now, that's anecdotal, do you understand? But uh, anecdotal doesn't mean necessarily unimportant. So I think there's something to that. All right, LR Design Studios, Laurie Sullivan Roy. That's quite a title, says, Is it worth trying to maintain relationships with leftists? It's getting to the point where having conversations with my leftist friends these days is unproductive. Any good reason to stay friends? Well, that just brings me to another topic now, doesn't it? There's an old joke came out of the anti-war movement said, well, what if they threw a war and nobody showed up? And then there's another counter joke. It's like, well, what if we threw a war and everyone showed up? You know, said so the military industrial complex all very happy about that stuff. So I'll tell you where I stand on this stuff. We have the little fights and we have the big disasters. Just back to the deferral of gratification stuff I was talking about earlier. We have the little fights or we have the big, big disasters. There's the only two choices. I wish there were different choices, but until the world becomes philosophical and smarter, these are the choices that we are faced with. So, the little fights are, you have knock-down, drag-out fights with family and friends about freedom. Now, these are verbal fights, usually, and there's, maybe there's some door slamming, maybe there's some yelling, maybe there's some storming off, but it's not war, it's not economic collapse, it's not starvation, it's not weaponized, right? Around immigration, right? This is, I, I posted this on Twitter. Like any political pundit who doesn't understand the very legitimate immigration panic that's occurring among particularly whites in the West, that doesn't understand politics and can't predict or explain anything. Like once you understand that, Trump and Brexit, and, and it's all easy to predict. And I, I do predict that the Republicans are going to do well tomorrow. I hate to predict that stuff, to be honest with you. Not because I'm afraid of being wrong. That's, that's fine. It's a, it's a tool of the trade. It's a risk of the trade. But because I'm always concerned that if I'm confident, people are like, oh, it's in the bag. I don't, right, don't need to do anything. So you have these little fights or you have a big fight. And people say, well, you know, do, do I really want to risk my relationship over politics, over abstractions? But politics are not abstractions. Politics are, po- politics are very real. 
Very real effects on your life, very real effects on your paycheck, very real effects on your liberties, very real effects on you, on your opportunities, on your possibilities. You know, I, I get so many emails from particularly white males saying I can't get a job because I'm not, because I'm a white male. Well, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, white males, for the most part, and certainly some blacks as well, but white males, for the most part, are the ones who fought and bled and died by the millions to secure our freedoms. And now white males can't even get jobs in the countries that their ancestors founded and built and bled and died for. Carved out of a wilderness. Carved out of nothing. Carved. I mean, I, I was in the bush in Ontario with some fairly convenient modern technologies. It was still a hard life, man, going back even further. Carving out of the wilderness of civilization. It's a hell of a thing to do. And then guarding that civilization with the lives of millions. And now the descendants of those people often can't even get jobs in their own countries. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. So this has very, very real effects. I wonder... I wonder how many historical disasters could have been averted by people being very stern and staunch and immovable in their personal lives. You know, so just think of this, right? Think of a brother and a sister in the late 1930s in England. Now, maybe the brother is saying, no, 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 we, we can't let the Nazis take back the Rhineland. No, 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 we can't let the Nazis go into Czechoslovakia. No, we can't let the Anschluss occur. No, we have to push back. No, we can't let the Germans accumulate more than 100,000 troops, which they were limited to under Versailles. No, we cannot allow the Germans to develop an air force. We have to stop it now. And his sister is like, well, you know, does it really matter? It's going to happen sooner or later. You've got to let it go. It's right. And let's say they have these disagreements. And let's say they kind of stumble along, they kind of move along. And then September 1939 happens, he gets called up, he goes off to war, and he gets his freaking head blown off in the war. Maybe it was at D-Day. Maybe it was somewhere in Italy. Maybe it was on the Western Front somewhere. Maybe it was, uh, he was home on leave and he got bombed by the Luftwaffe. Some Henkel dropped a bomb and blew his head off. So now he has no relationship with her. Of course, he's dead, right? No relationship at all. Nothing. And, and no possibility of a resurrected relationship, unless the Christians are right, of course. And he tried to preserve the relationship by not addressing the foundational conflicts. I want to get along and I don't want to risk the relationship by really disagreeing with her too strongly. I feel nervous about it. I don't feel comfortable doing it. And, you know, mom says don't and dad says let's not cause a fuss and so on. But he's the one who gets drafted, right? She doesn't get drafted. And he goes off to fight and he gets traumatized and he gets killed. There's no relationship anymore. Or think of the intellectuals 
when the communists are taking over, the Nazis are taking over, when the totalitarian low IQ regimes end up shooting anybody wearing glasses. Well, he doesn't want to cause problems. He doesn't want to get people too mad at him. So he'll go along to get along. But they're not the ones dragged out of their beds at 3 o'clock in the morning for past writings. They're not the ones thrown in front of a firing squad or dropped into a labor camp in Siberia or Poland. So you understand that if the left wins, the bodies will hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. And if you're listening to this, not because you're listening to this, but just because of who you are, if the left gains power, real power, your body will be one of those bodies hitting the floor, most likely. And if that happens, guess what? You don't have a relationship with anyone anymore because you're freaking dead. You're dead. Or you're mentally tortured out of all personal recognition. Or you're broken on the wheel of endless labor and you're shipped back a shell of your former self. No relationship with anyone anymore. Because people think that if we just get along with everyone, somehow things are just going to trundle along. But historically speaking, they really, really don't just trundle along. Things go from bad to worse, to harassment, to brutality, to censorship, to violence, to incarceration, to outright murder by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. And sometimes, if you win the top-notch totalitarian prize, by the millions. Think of the people who were opposing the ascendancy of the Communist Party in China in the 1940s. And say, well, you know, we don't want to, I don't want to get too much into politics. I don't want to, I don't want to cause too many problems. I don't want any uncomfortable dinners around the family table. So I'll, I'll hold my tongue. Yeah, hold your tongue, you lose your tongue. You understand? You hold your tongue, you lose your tongue. Your parents maybe are more pro-socialist, maybe more pro-communist. Say, well, I don't want to, I don't really want to harm my relationship with my parents by standing too firm on this and really trying and working hard to get them to understand. I don't want to upset them too much. You know what's going to upset your parents? It's a funny little story. You know what's going to upset your parents? Well, first of all, if you get dragged off and shot behind a ditch for being too intellectual or too critical or too questioning or having a funny look in your eye, well, that's going to upset your parents. You know what else is going to upset your parents? It's interesting. What else is going to upset your parents is if and when the Soviets, sorry, the, the communists in, in China, with the assistance of the Soviets, collectivized the farms, put the farms under state ownership. Mass starvation ensues. You know what's going to bother your parents? When they're pulling apart their pillows and trying to stuff goose feathers into their mouth because it's the only animal product they can find. Or when they're using bloodied fingernails to strip bark off trees in an attempt to find some grubs, a caterpillar, or just gnaw on the bark itself. Or when they're scrabbling around empty bins and behind cupboards looking for, say, the thin 
bridge of the nose, tissue skin of onions to chew on because there may be a tenth of a calorie in a half a pound. That's going to bother your parents. And if you're around your parents at that time and they have any kind of awareness or any capacity to admit fault, you know what they're going to say? What they're going to say is, why the hell? Why the hell did you not fight harder? If you knew what was coming, why the hell didn't you fight us harder? Like the guy whose wife is easy on him smoking, ah, you know, it's fine, you know, no problem, and then he gets lung cancer. And he says to her, why the hell didn't you fight me more on smoking? Now I'm going to die. A gruesome, expensive, horrible, painful, ugly, ghastly death. Why the hell didn't you push back harder against my... Why didn't you fight me more? Why didn't you fight me more? If you knew what was coming, you had an obligation to say, well, but you wouldn't listen. Make me listen. They would say, make me... you." Your mother is starving to death. I could count my ribs with a fingertip from space. Why the hell? Didn't you fight our programming harder? And then you didn't want to upset your mom, you see, too much by fighting against her socialistic tendencies. You didn't want to, you didn't want to fight your mom too much. Because you wanted to maintain your relationship with her. But, you know, if you're shipped off to a prison camp or shot, you don't have a relationship with your mom anyway. If she starves to death, you don't have a relationship with her anyway. If you know what's coming, and if you listen to the show, you know what's coming if the left gains power. You must fight. Breaks in relationships don't have to be permanent, you understand. Like if you say to people, listen, if you continue to support the left, if you continue to support big government, if you continue to support these monsters, I mean, good Lord. Was it another woman came out and said when she accused Judge Kavanaugh of rape that she just lied? Just lied. I believe there's a strong case to be made that being falsely accused of rape is worse than being raped. Being publicly and falsely accused of rape is worse than being raped. Because if you're raped, you get sympathy. You get compassion. You get care. You're not facing jail time, where, ironically enough, you could get raped. But if you're falsely accused of of rape, your reputation is largely destroyed, your job opportunities are destroyed, you may very well end up in jail. Where are you going to be raped? Perhaps repeatedly. So if it doesn't give people any pause when these are strategies that the left uses, I, 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 would, not, I would not keep relationships with those people as they were because they're morally hideous. Moral monsters, you understand. If you're not out there condemning I mean, just the, the most obvious and, and, and clear recent one, the appalling, appalling treatment of Judge Kavanaugh. Multiple 
false or highly dubious or unprovable rape allegations compared to what's been going on with Keith Ellison or Mueller or any of these things. If people aren't disturbed by that, I'd, I'd say to hell with them, but it doesn't matter because they're already in hell. They've already been so compromised, so degraded, so bought, so programmed, so emptied out and filled with garbage sermons to the pious virtues of evil. It's like there's this creepy, powerful speech that Freddie Mercury gives in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. He says, you know when you've gone really rotten when the fruit flies gather around you? <laughs> fruit is another word for gay, so fruit flies, right? Like I forgot to mention when I was doing my um, polarizing singing in, <laughs> in the movie review that torso's in my closet, says Freddie Mercury, and um, it's just a body, no head. And a closet, of course, is to be in the closet is to pretend you're not gay when you are, which you kind of half did. So, oh, I don't want to harm my relationships. No, if, if they get their way, you'll have no relationships with anyone. You've got nothing to lose. It reminds me of an old joke when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there were Englishmen, Irishmen, and Scotsmen jokes. The Englishmen were sensible, the Irishmen were dumb, and the Scotsmen were cheap. And... I can't remember how the entire joke goes, but here's how the punchline works. So, an Englishman and a Scotsman are walking down the street. And they're set upon, and they're in a lonely place in the country, they're set upon by robbers, by thieves. And they say, give me all your money. And the Scotsman turns to the British man and says, "Ah, here's the... 20 pounds I owe you. I'm sorry I'd be meaning to pay it back. (laughs) Well, that's funny because he's going to lose the money anyway. So he might as well pay the money back because he's going to lose the money anyway. So if you're going to lose the relationships anyway, what's the problem with threatening them, so to speak? Threatening them, I don't mean making threats to people. I mean threatening them through just being honest and saying that support of the left at this point is a wretched moral compromise. And yes, there's a lot to criticize about the right, and I get all of that. But the right isn't doing what the left is doing. The right is not uh, 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 violently attacking and driving people out. Right polit- rightist politicians are not calling for blood in the streets, not calling for violence and harassment. They're not orchestrating what seems to me, orchestrating the absolute moral assassination of a human being for daring to be nominated to the Supreme Court and not a leftist. They're not feral. You know, when I went to Australia, when I went to New Zealand, it wasn't the right who was using violence against my tour and Lauren Southern's tour. It wasn't the right. I mean, the right had their criticisms of me and that was fine. But pretty sure they weren't phoning in the bomb threats that I've heard reported of. Pretty sure that they weren't out there pretending to be Antifa or pretending to be the feral leftists who were attacking buses and trying to turn them over with people inside and ripping the sidings off. No. No. If you support the left at the moment, 
you have to be shocked out of your hypnosis. You have to be shocked out of your... You think it's a documentary, it's a horror movie. You have to be shocked out of it. You can't enable, you can't support these people. And, and you, you've, you've probably heard of or seen this show or heard of the idea of this show called Intervention, I think it was called, where some guy is spiraling into drugs and alcohol and whatever, pathology, addiction. And people sit down with him. And they say, you stop this or we will have nothing to do with you whatsoever. It's called an intervention. You say, here's how it impacts me. Here's how it's going to impact me. Here's the problems I have. You have to stop this by any means necessary or we're done. We're, we're, our relationship is over. We're done. But you understand, an addiction to al- alcohol is far less dangerous than an addiction to political power. You understand, right? An addiction to alcohol, that's no, terrible. It mostly harms yourself, those around you immediately, but it doesn't get institutionalized. It doesn't have the power of the army or the police force or the court system behind it. It doesn't come with access to nuclear weapons. It doesn't come with massive surveillance capacities for the entire country. It doesn't come with limitless monopoly photocopying of toilet paper currency. You're just a drunk. That's terrible for the people in your life, but it doesn't affect the entire country. But an addiction to political power, far worse than an addiction to alcohol or drugs or sex or gambling, and far worse, far worse, infinitely worse. Communism, I keep hearing the numbers change, 90 million, 100 million, I've heard well north of that as well. There's no single alcoholic who can be responsible for the deaths of 100 million freaking people. People. So if that's the level of commitment for a mere personal failing, such as an addiction to alcohol or drugs, if that's the stand that people take, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but that's the stand that people are suggested to take, and nobody, as far as I know, said, oh, that's monstrous. Monstrous that they would take a stand for this guy quitting his alcohol, his addictions, and us monstrous evil defooing. <laughs> but that's what they suggest. That's what they suggest. Are you willing to stand for your values? Are you willing? Now, sometimes in these intervention shows, I've only watched a couple, but the guy's like, eh, the hell with you, I'm going to keep drinking, right? And they're like, okay. And then he comes around later. He's like, oh, man, you know, I really get it. Thank you for standing out for that. It took me a while, but, you know. And then the relationship is restored. Yay! He's not a drunk anymore. So you've got to break people's addiction to political power. You must break their addiction to political power by any means necessary short of any kind of threat or violence or anything like that. Dissociation. Voluntarism, ostracism, these are all very powerful and extraordinarily peaceful tools at your disposal. And you're going to get ostracized anyway, because if they win and their political power runs rampant, your relationships are done with everyone and everything. I guarantee you. Read Demonic. Read Demonic by Ann Coulter. It opens your eyes like you're in a clockwork orange. Wrong coffee cup. Oh, no. I'm not addicted, though. Oh, please stage an intervention. So that's my suggestion. You've got nothing to lose because you're going to lose everything anyway if they win.
All right. Avi, Scott, and Flower. Steph, please do truth about Alvaro Uribe. Uribe? He got elected as FARC. We're moving to invade Bogota. Fought them hard for eight years. Leftists want him dead in jail. Truth about FARC. Unelected and in Congress now would be appreciated. Okay. <laughs> so here's something that's uh, interesting if you want to feel empowered. If you want to feel empowered and you feel passionate about something you want me to talk about, give it to me completed. You give it to me in a PowerPoint format with uh, sources, with notes, with explanations. That's the best way to get me to do something is to make it as easy as possible for me to be empowered. Because if you have been passionately involved in the topic for many years, the idea that I'm going to somehow summon up massive expertise in a day or two or a week or two, it's not likely. So I appreciate that. And uh, I look forward to that. Of course, you can get it to me through the website. All right. Antonio Gracia says, as an Italian living in Germany, if I merely doubt the migration, that migration is our strength narrative, I am hilariously met with anti-Italian slurs and vitriol. Sure. Sure. I mean, just a couple of basic questions to ask the pro-migration people. Uh, number one is that if 80% of the migrants are young men and they're fleeing the most dangerous locations known to man, why are they leaving women and children behind? Right? It's like that old Seinfeld where George Costanza runs out and pushes kids out of the way because he thinks there's a fire in a daycare or something like that. Why are all of these young men leaving an incredibly dangerous country? And if 80% of the people who are fleeing the country are young men, why are they leaving their women and children behind? (laughs) I mean, if that doesn't give anyone pause, I don't know what will. But generally, you know, when young men cross a border, historically... Uh, it's an invasion. Say, oh, well, they're not armed. Well, they're not armed. Well, no, they're not, generally, although a lot of people in the uh, Honduran caravan seem to be exchanging fire with uh, the local constabulatory. Constabulary? Constabulatory. And so they are kind of armed insofar as they're going to take resources from the local population through the power of the welfare state, you know? Those who designed the welfare state should have damn well figured out that it was going to attract foreigners. It's the one thing that the lives of the saints got right and Atlas Shrugged got wrong in terms of how you take down a country. So, Night Sun says the welfare system is making it impossible for employers to get people lots of jobs, but nobody wants to work for $14 an hour. Yes, well, that's a very, very good point. And I talked about this in a presentation a couple of years ago called The Welfare Cliff. And yeah, it's very, very tough. It's very tough. So you've got the welfare state, which means that you can get more money on welfare than you can at a job. And then you've got endless waves of third world immigrants uh, who are either going, or immigrants illegal and illegal, who are either going on welfare or getting jobs. If they're getting jobs, they're pushing down the wages. And if they're going on welfare, then they're raising taxes or raising debt, which means there's less money available for entrepreneurial activity. So it's not good. Mr. Ask Chapman. <laughs> I kept making this joke about assless chaps until somebody pointed out the chaps are by definition assless. Uh, you know, I, I I like feeling the fabric on the chair. What can I tell you? I oh, can't wait to get off this chair. Soon, soon, my friends. Should the government have a role in breaking up monopolies? I don't understand how anarchism can deal with a monopoly like Google. Well, that's just logic 101. I'm sorry to make it so obvious, but this is the power of propaganda. Um... 
if a monopoly is bad, the government is a monopoly <laughs> and the government can't be broken up. So if monopolies are bad, inventing an all-powerful monopoly at the center of society is not a way to solve the problem. It's like, oh, do you have a headache? Let me saw your head off. <laughs> hey, look at that. You don't have a headache anymore. Or life. So anarchism deals with a monopoly like Google. Okay. So looking at a company like Google is very interesting from an anarchist perspective. So first of all, less intelligent people in the West have way too, have, have way too many resources at the moment. And, and the welfare state, you understand, by funneling huge amounts of money to lower IQ people as a whole, has created a market for just stupid purchases. So this is really, really important to understand. Less intelligent people are more susceptible to advertising. The government has poured trillions of dollars into the hands of less intelligent people through the welfare state and through government employment and through a wide variety of other things, student loans even. And so what happened is now advertising has become much more effective than it otherwise would be in a free market because in a free market, the smartest people have the most money and the smartest people are the least susceptible to advertising. So advertising has become extraordinarily powerful as a result of the welfare state and Google is hooking into that. So this is just, you got to look at how the money is sloshing back and forth in society and the money is being taken from smart people and given to dumb people in return for votes. It's a massive intergenerational, multi-trillion dollar bribery scheme for the maintenance of political power, and both the left and the right participated in it as a whole. So what does Google sell? Google sells targeted ads primarily. That's its major business model. It sells targeted ads. Now, for smart people, targeted ads don't really work. But for less intelligent people, or they work less. For less intelligent people, targeted ads work more. So one of the reasons why Google has swollen to such a huge tech giant monopoly status is because advertising, which works best on least intelligent people, is hooking into the income taken from rich, smart people and given to dumb people by the state. And that's, it's just another form of repatriation of money or another form of, of just sending money over borders. Uh, they're just hooking into a giant market of low IQ people that's created and funded by the government, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is, why do we really care so much about what Google has to say, like how much they will uh, uh, push up or, or push down particular search results? Well, in particular, it's because of politics, right? So Google, the executives at Google seem to be pretty pro-leftist. You've seen those horrifying indoctrination sessions, as, as I'm sure, as, as, as I have. And so the government has a lot of money and the government has a lot of power. And so Google wants to get involved in elections because it has a huge impact on Google's bottom line in the long run. It's sort of like, like, why do you never see, like, you'll see bad lawyers on TV shows, but you'll almost never see bad or corrupt judges. It's, it's very, very rare. Well, why is that? Because if you're a studio, you're constantly going to have to go in front of judges for labor disputes, for copyright disputes, for, for contract disputes, you name it. And if you're known as a corporate entity that disses judges, well you may fare poorly because of that. And I think I got that point from Ben Shapiro to give credit where credit is due. But um, why do you care about Google having a, quote, monopoly? It doesn't, doesn't really matter. In a free market, it wouldn't really matter. But Google's coffers are swollen by the welfare state. And this is something that is, uh, needs to be talked about more, but people don't want to because well, obvious reasons. Oh, oh, did I just lose my super chat? Ooh, doo -doo -doo. Here we go. Ah, here was another one. Thank you. From Jeremy Manning. 
Do you foresee social credit scoring system extending to the West? What impact could that have? Some New York lawmakers are proposing legislation requiring screening of three years of social media posts as part of firearms purchases. Well, well, I mean, look, the left has a huge problem. Um, the left is a devolutionary strategy as a whole because it appeals to the immediate animal needs of the human, uh, which is to say less than human, uh, as opposed to the larger moral long-term preferences of an actual intelligent human being. And please understand, I don't mean leftists are subhuman. What I mean is that by appealing merely to the animal needs, that they are not elevating them to where human beings operate in the natural state, which is reason and evidence and deferral of gratification and all that kind of stuff. So the left has a huge problem. Uh, appealing down, like there's an old joke that says nobody ever went broke underestimating the stupidity of the American public, which is not particularly fair and, and certainly not limited to America. But um, if you look at movies where, like the stoner movies, where like, Drug use is kind of cool. Being a slacker is kind of cool. And, you know, everyone who works hard is just kind of uptight and anal and tense and, and weird and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, if you look at Faulty Towers, right, all of the hedonists are kind of cool and, and hip and relaxed and fun and pretty and comfortable. And Basil Faulty, who's got some moral sense from the old world, is a tense and, and uptight and all that. So... The left has a big problem because they know, by appealing down, they gain the natural traction of lower expectations, right? People love it. A lot of people love it when there's lower expectations around them because they, they don't feel like they're losing or they're losers. They don't feel like they're missing out. They don't feel like, you know, giving people comfort for bad decisions is, is a very cruel thing to do. It's a very cruel thing. Oh, it wasn't your fault or it happens to everyone or it's not a big deal. These are all terrible things to do to someone. It really, it's like a slow acid that dissolves their spine and their capacity to have a better future. Like, I remember a guy calling in a couple of years ago on my call-in show. And he said, um, you know, I'm, I think he was in his late 40s or his early 50s. And he says, I'm, a, I'm like just on the far side of middle age and I'm living in a, I'm living in my brother's garage, you know. And I feel like my life is just going terribly. I don't want to panic. And I'm like, you kind of do. Like, you kind of do want to panic. You really, really, like now is an excellent time to panic because if you leave it much longer, you'll have absolutely no chance to turn anything around or get anything that you want in life. So no, p panicking is a, it's a good thing to do <laughs> at times. And so when people say, oh man, I've made a terrible decision. And it's a little bit more female than male to say, oh no, it's okay. We all make mistakes. All right. No, don't do that. That's giving up on people, saying they can't do any better. And uh, again, it's appealing to that. Well, it, it makes me uncomfortable to hold people accountable for bad decisions that they've made in the moment, so I'm just going to pretend that blah, 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 right? Oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It happens to everyone and blah, 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 right? So if you appeal down, lower standards, people like it. And then by the time the, the consequences of that catch up to them, the left already has power and they can't back out and all that, right? But it's real close right now. The reason why I'm pushing so hard for all of this political stuff is it's real close right now. And demographically... There's not much time left to try and turn things around because millions and millions, like a million people a year legally coming into the U.S., probably a couple hundred thousand at least illegally, and they're all going to vote for the left, 80%, 90%, whatever. Demographically, it's very little time left, very little time. Winter, she be coming. And then, you know, what happens? Well, you've got all these people in there 
Say the people from India, uh, oh, the people from India are smart. Well, sure they are. It's what, a billion people in India, something like that? So yeah, really, really smart people come to the West. And then they have kids, that's regression to the mean, and the kids generally have lower IQs than the parents, and uh, it goes down. So you end up with a fairly low IQ population over the long run. Not always, but often over the long run. Low IQ population can't function competitively in a free market, and then you run out of money. And what happens then? What happens when you have a fractured society where the real class of IQ differences is manifest and you run out of money with which to buy peace from the hard done by or the perceived to be hard done by members of your society? Well, it all goes pretty badly. So, yeah, so the left has a big problem with social media influencing and impacting their narrative. And I think it's fairly clear to people that Brexit wouldn't happen, Trump wouldn't happen without the internet without social media, which is why the left is focusing so hard on controlling social media. So yeah, they want to make people think twice before posting the truth. Everyone does these days, and uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. I really fight that tooth and nail for myself because I just want to be honest with everyone. So yeah, you know, they want you to think twice before you post stuff because they're going to be screening over all your social media. And if they find something they don't like, you don't get a gun. No, I mean, it's it's terrible, and, and it should be fought tooth and nail, I believe, peacefully. But, um, all right. I guess, yeah, we did a fair amount on the elections, uh, all, all things considered. If we got any last, super, if I missed any earlier super chats, please let me know, my friends, and I will just jump into ye old main chat. Oh my God, you guys and the Jews. Holy crap. Ah... <laughs> You know, there's lots of better things you can do with your life than complain about other people, but uh, I guess everyone has their preferences. So let me just see here. Uh, Get down to the bottom here. Yeah, I already talked about the Jewish question. And uh, yeah, if there's anyone uh, here, please run for prime minister. (laughs) Well, we'll see about that. I wouldn't hold your breath. Uh, I have grandchildren I pay for our leaders and country. I hope we can make a difference for their future. Good luck tomorrow. Debate JF now. You missed several super chats. Well, you know, I, I did ask people not to do super chats at the beginning, and they do pass away after a while. So, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but I can't do super chats while I'm in the middle of a big speech. I'm sure you understand that. Uh, 5G. Don't know much about 5G. I know some people are worried about it in terms of like it has some effects. I have no idea. I have no idea. See, this is the thing. You know, like, I mean, I, I appreciate that everyone brings their particular preferences to what it is, the, my platform and so on. But uh, you do have to understand that um, I, ca- I can't do everything. <laughs> I, can't cover, I can't cover everything. And I really do have to try and, and, and work on the stuff that leverages my strengths. Like, do I want to become an expert in exactly how many Jews there were in the communist revolution in Russia in 1917. Well, uh, that takes a huge amount of work. I don't know who to trust in that. So, and and the, to me, the argument isn't, I don't know how many Jews were there among the communists in Russia in 1917. The question is, is communism a valid political and economic theory? That 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 is the philosophical angle that I can bring to bear on things. And I don't think there's anyone out there who can fault me for my relentless opposition to communism uh, and socialism. So I can't become an expert in everything. I can't go how to look up genealogical records and travel to Russia and learn Russian. Like I just, I simply cannot become an expert on everything. So 
Yeah, it's the same thing with vaccines. Like, I'm not a doctor. I, I can't, you know, I don't believe that the government should have the power to force children to take vaccines. I think it should be handled by insurance. It should be handled privately and all this kind of stuff. So I just can't become an expert in everything. I can't become an expert in Judaism. I can't, like, I don't speak Hebrew. I, you know, I, I, I don't know Sanskrit. I can't become an expert in everything. My particular wheelhouse is philosophy and I don't believe that there's anyone out there who's put more commitment, time, effort, energy, and focus, and taken risks in the proselytizing of philosophy in the modern world. So there's lots of people who are talking about the Jewish question, and I will definitely talk about my thoughts about it, but I'm not going to go and become an expert on all of this stuff, because there's all that. All right. Ah, wasn't communism Jewish? Ah, you know... Lots of people talked about communism. Yeah, there were a lot of Jews who talked about communism, and there were a lot of Jews who talked against communism. So, yeah, you know, this idea, like, I have to do this debate with someone. It's like, I kind of don't. Like, I'm just going to tell you guys straight up, I kind of don't. I kind of don't. I will look into it, and I will see if it's going to be a positive and productive debate, if it's going to be useful, if it is going to be um, uh, philosophical. But if it's arguing about Jewish ethnicity of various people or whether there's a Jewish in-group preference and so on, yeah, I've always said there's a Jewish in-group preference. Not for all Jews, but for a lot of Jews, there is a Jewish in-group preference. Absolutely. And there is a Muslim in-group preference. I get all of that. And there's often an Indian and a Chinese in-group preference. And yes, white people get attacked for having an in-group preference, of course, because we're the tax cattle that keeps the whole diversity myth funded. So, All right. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Stefan, you put into words what I have believed for a long time. Thank you for confirming that I'm not insane. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I'm scared. Oh, I'm scared of the Jewish question. Is that is that the theory? Um, it's actually just, I hate to say it, it's kind of boring. Um, because here's the thing. I mean, yeah, I understand, right? So if I had believed the whole Jewish thing, the Jews run everything, and then you can't get anything done, and blah, 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 like all the stuff that people say, would I have built this channel? Right, so the fact that you have someone to listen to is because I didn't listen to you, <laughs> right? So uh, I'm I'm not going to worry about competition. I'm going to focus on bringing as much truth as as resolutely and positively, and energetically and humorously, hopefully and musically, somewhat as possible to the audience. So if I'd have thought, oh, the Jews control everything, and blah, 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 right, well, I wouldn't have built this channel because no hope can't try. So people kind of drag me down with this hopelessness. It's like, no, I'm just going to build the very best philosophy channel that I can conceivably build. And if other people want to complain about other groups, go for it. But that just means you're not producing your own damn things. Stop complaining about everyone else and produce your own thing. (laughs) Produce your own thing. All right. Let's chill. We understand, Stefan. Smash that. What was that? (laughs) When I hear see smash that, uh, I just want to, uh, uh, I just want to see it. Let's see here. Oh, I lost it. I lost it. Do I think there's hope for the UK? I I try not to make predictions around passivity. Uh, I would say that you need to do what you can to bring hope to the UK. But uh, I just say it's not looking particularly good. Uh, Khashoggi and Trump's ties to the Saudis. Yeah, the, the ties to the Saudis are a huge rot in the West as a whole. And the way that you need to deal with your ties to the Saudis is you need to take on the environmentalist lobby so that you can start getting domestic energy production up so you stop handing money to these horrible theocrats. All right. 
Stefan giving the tall Chinese guy argument about Jews because Friedman. That's not my argument. And this is so boring. I mean, it's so boring. You guys got to really try and up your game. Uh, it is really, really sad to to have these kinds of perspective. It is not a tall Chinese guy argument about Jews. That was not part of... Uh, it was a small part of my argument, which was used for a much larger part of the argument. And if you can't follow that, then you just need to go find yourself a different channel. Uh, right. Let's see here. Please contemplate the fact that near one-third of children and fathers are victims of parental fraud. That's higher than I've heard. But um, please uh, give me more information. Oh, here we go. Oh, sorry, someone with Super Chat. No, I did get that Super Chat. That was the Tower of Babel one. All right. 5G is single biggest threat. Well, you know, send me the info. I'll have a look. But again, it's not particularly philosophical topic, so try not to be tempted to to wedge your own particular issue. And look, we all have issues that we're particularly focused on, and I got no problem with people who want to do the research on 5G. I know nothing about it. But if it's not philosophical, it's going to be kind of tough for me to pour the time and energy into it. And please make sure that you check out my new book. Um, no, Stefan doesn't believe in most conspiracy theories. I, I don't like the phrase conspiracy theories because it's a way of dismissing things. I, if something is false, it should be relatively easy to disprove and therefore you don't need to label it as a conspiracy theory. If you label something as a conspiracy theory, you're kind of playing into the hands of, quote, conspiracy theorists because you're not providing a counter-argument. It's just a form of ad, ad hominem. All right, I think. Oh, yeah, I did. So I've watched some of Making a Murderer, too. I may do something uh, about that. But um, how often do you get recognized in public? Uh, Most times I go out, um, if I'm not, you know, out in a farmer's field, plow on the back 40. That sounds dirty. It is, actually, but just mostly muddy. But, uh, yeah, most times I'm out in public. uh, Somebody will come up to me and say they love the show and, and chat with my daughter if she's with me and all that kind of stuff. So... Uh, yeah, it's pretty much every time I go out, and uh, it's a great pleasure. I I love you guys. I love the fans. I love the critics. Uh, all the people bagging on me and dogging on me, absolutely fantastic. That's exactly what should happen in this kind of environment. Stefan, are you related to Peter Molyneux, the game developer? He made Fable, if you're familiar with it. I don't think so. I've never heard of that, so I don't know. But I'm sure somebody will claim that he's my Jewish ancestor. Oh, no. Actually, I did say I did say once uh, um, grandmother when I meant step-grandmother. All right. Cowboy Bear, I just re-listened to the portion of the stream, and I have to ask, what did you mean about fighting against the left, voting for the right, or abstaining and speaking against all state power and fighting for voluntarism? No, Cowboy Bear! Just to reiterate, um, check out my new book, by the way. Um, FDRURL.com forward slash EP, that's for uh, Essential Philosophy. That's FDRURL.com forward slash EP. Uh, We'll get you to that. Uh, on SoundCloud, I've put uh, high-quality WAVs if you want to listen online. I've also put up uh, a playlist which you can find where you can download 96K MP3s if you want to listen on the go without uh, any internet. So, I mean, the downloads, it's gigs for the WAVs, but I, I'm a real fussy, a fuss budget about audio quality, and it's a really, really good uh, listen. And a really, it's a good mic setup. It's a good mixer, and I got a Grammy Award-winning producer to, um, to work on the audio, and he did a great job. So I just wanted to mention that. Also, don't forget, and I, I do forget, it's very, very sad because I love this book. Uh, don't forget The Art of the Argument, which you can get at artoftheargument.com. Uh, it's a great book. You can also get it on Audible, and um, you can get it on Kindle, and uh, I hope you check out that. I'm very pleased with that book, The Art of the Argument, and the new book, Essential Philosophy, How to Know What on Earth is Going On. So, no, what I was talking about, how, how do you fight the left? You say to people in your life who are leftists, 
you got to drop this addiction to political power or I'm not going to have anything to do with you. It's called the against me argument. You can look it up. Um, If I remember rightly, Joe Rogan's not a fan. But (laughs) the argument is fairly unassailable. And uh, so, no, uh, that's how you fight against the left. It's people in your life who are leftists. They want you thrown in jail. And worse, you know, if they get, if they, if they hand political power to leftists, they're gunning for you and me, friends. And then you won't have a relationship with them because you'll be in jail or dead or spiritually and emotionally broken by forced labor. So, yeah, that's the reality. That's how you fight against the left is, um, and, you know, they can come back. Like after a while, they might say, wow, you know, I really got it. I thought about it and all that kind of stuff. So, all right. What do I know about Beto O'Rourke that he skateboards on stage? So, um, I think the answer to that is probably not as much as I should. Joe Rogan calls you a cult leader. Yeah, I think he did. I think he did, right? Um, It's not an argument. (laughs) It's not an argument. All right. Sorry, you guys are too... Didn't he marry a single mom? Did he? Did he marry a single mom? I think uh, think Joe Rogan married a single mom. So, clearly, he's not that upset about family breakups. Uh, Why do politicians get a pass from their voters? I don't know. I don't know. Never thought I'd see a live stream from Steph. Oh, it's live. Are excessive taxes forced labor? No, all taxes are forced labor. Uh, Oh, you guys are too much fun. Okay, okay, let's do five more minutes. (laughs) I'm going to need it. Somebody's going to have to tackle me to get off you guys' great questions because they're really going fast. And uh, let me see if I can get this. All right. Do I know what Spiral Dynamics is? No, but I think they were an opening band for Spinal Tap, if I understand that correctly. Um, who's your smartest opponent? Well, I had a great question. Who's your smartest opponent? I really have to think on that. I've, I, you know, I've a couple of thoughts come to mind, but I do not believe that I have, um, yeah, I really have to think about it. Proof you're not Jewish. <laughs> well, that would be quite an exciting live stream, let me tell you, because I'm not circumcised. So, but unfortunately, um, I, I would need a fisheye lens, um, and a tripod and, uh, four security guards to help hold it up. So it's just natural. Sorry. It's just the way it is. It's another way I can prove I'm not Jewish. All right. Tell your daughter that her father is the smartest man I have come across. That's very kind. Any chance of an interview with Count Dankula? Yeah, I no particular problem with that. I think that would be great. I think he's fun. Um, guy's got some face art, if I remember rightly. So. All right. Uh, I've heard enough. You were obviously a gatekeeper controlled opposition or too much of a bitch to call out the jewish question either way bye yeah listen i mean honestly farewell and and i wish you the best and i hope that uh, you you get what you want in life and you know if, if you're completely right and i'm completely wrong I, I will certainly apologize but um you know this gatekeeper controlled opposition shill and and all this kind of stuff you know if, if you want to win people over to your way of thinking um screaming insults at them <laughs> It's not really the way to go. I like I just I'm just telling you as someone who's, you know, got six hundred million views and downloads and subscribers and I, I think a somewhat depressed view count at the moment. But um 
you know, if, if you want people to, to come over to your way of thinking, then you, you need to write your books. You need to, to be scholarly as best you can. You need to be engaging. You need to recognize that it's controversial and challenging for people to understand, you know, like it's hard to get people to talk about anarchism. It's hard to get people to talk about peaceful parenting. It's hard to get people to question their original relationships. It's hard to get people to stop spanking. Um, these are all very challenging positions for people, which I think have quite a bit more impact on their immediate lives than the Jewish question. So, you know, just this, you know, unsubscribe, shill, gatekeeper, ah, you know, sorry, like you're just not going to get anywhere in life. And, and it, it has me have no respect for your perspective because it's just abusive and it's just noise and it's, it's um, no self-control, no deferral of gratification. It's just venting in the here and now. And like, I'm sorry, it's, I'm telling you this, it's not going to get you what you want. It's going to get you the opposite of what you want. And I'm sorry about that. Dream interview guest. Oh, I'd love to have had a debate with Ayn Rand. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? I'm sorry she's dead since 82, right? But, oh, my gosh. Can you imagine how powerful it would be to have a debate? Because she is just killer brain. But, uh, you know, I think uh, missed, missed a few things. Uh, and, um, oof. Uh, but uh, uh, ideal guest, ideal dream interview guest. Well, I'll tell you this. I would love to interview Trump after he's out of office. <laughs> I don't think he'd want to do it right now, and I can understand why. But I would love to interview Trump out of office, uh, and um, I think that would be fascinating. Ivanka would also be interesting as well, because she's, I, th I think, a little bit of a sentimental soft spot in the whole administration. But um, dream interview guest, that's a very interesting I've I've got most of the people I've I've had most of the people that I really want on the show already so I'm trying to think Yeah that's that's a great that's a great question it's a great question Do you ever want to return to the IT business kind of oblivious to the political machinations just living your life Oh I love the IT business and I I you know I've had some offers and people who've reached out and so on and uh it it's tempting I mean my technical expertise has gotten a little bit rusty on the vine but I'm sure I could get that back relatively quickly and uh, it, is, uh, it is tempting to have those kinds of problems to solve that are fun and technical and hugely engaging. Like I go in like a shark on a seal pup when it comes to problems uh, in the technical sphere. Sometimes, like to the detriment, um, I, I'm having a problem with my recording software for interviews and uh, I, can, I can burn up hours trying to solve it, which is not always great. So, All right. I uh, don't want to talk more about Peter Molyneux. White men created the world we all enjoy. Well, it's a bit of a collectivist statement, but as um, Charles Murray has pointed out, and I talked about in my speech in Australia, um, from 800 BC to 1950 AD, 98% of the scientific advances were white males. So, EssentialPhilosophy.com. Thanks, James. EssentialPhilosophy.com will also get you to the new book. Dr. Freud was someone that hated the Goyim. I, I, yeah, I've read some stuff on Dr. Freud. I'm going to do a presentation on him at some point. Um, it's really, really horrendous. Really horrendous what he did. All right. I think we're done with all of these. Oh, I'm just waiting for one more. Wow. You can... Oh, oh my gosh. Did people put in new Super Chats? dun da 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 Okay, we'll do a couple more here. Uh, I have not kept up with Hans Hoppe and Frank Van Dunn, so 
yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I have not, uh, I've not kept up with Hans Hoppe. I do remember seeing something where, was it Steph Kinsella and Jeffrey Tucker were sitting with Hans Hoppe and uh, all laughing about spanking kids. That to me was not ideal. Cowboy Bear says, I've been listening for eight years and applied the against me argument. I've cut a lot of deadwood, but it has also cost me opportunities. That doesn't matter to me. Destroying the magnet to mental illness, the state does. Yeah, uh, it is going to cost you. Listen, <laughs> I will tell you guys, <laughs> you know, it's just us here, right? I mean, we're just having a stitch and bitch, a knitting party. But I, I will tell you, like, I know that there's a reason why I'm not on tour with the big names. It's not because I don't have the audience. It's not because I don't have the speaking skills. It's not because I don't have the eloquence or the charm or the charisma or the humor or anything like that. It's because I've touched some of the certain third rails, particularly race and IQ. And that just, that takes you out of the circuit. I mean, it just takes you out of the circuit. There's a reason why I'm not on television more. I get all of that. (laughs) I hate to say it. Like, I'm so sorry, because this sounds like I'm just bagging on everyone else. But this is just a personal decision for me. If I have to shut up about important issues, I don't want that stuff. I, I don't. I don't want the five thousand seat halls. I don't like. I do a thousand seats easy in Australia and all that, but I, I don't want that. I don't like. If I have to, if, if if that's what I'm being given in order to shut up about topics like race and IQ that are absolutely essential to our discussions these days, like I'm. I don't want it. Like I, it's not like oh, it's tempting. It's like I don't want it. I don't. Don't want it. In fact, it would make my skin crawl to stand in front of an audience knowing that I was avoiding a central topic. Like, it's not that hard to, to beat your enemies. To, to beat your enemies, you go to the first place they really don't want you to go. Like, wherever they really don't want you to go, that's where you go. Right? I mean, if, if think if you're fighting, this is just an analogy, right? I think you're fighting some general. You're fighting some general. And he's got a weak spot on his line, right? And the weak spot on his line is exactly where he doesn't want you to go. And so if the left doesn't want you to go to race and IQ, like that's where you have to go because the most important thing, it's a soft spot that helps with immigration. So I, I wouldn't want that stuff. All right. I got to actually got to go grab. I got to go somewhere. So here we go. Double, double, no pickles says, keep up the good work. Any plans for another chat with Owen Benjamin? I'm sure that will happen. He had some very kind things to say about my recent series on vampires or my recent video on vampires, which I appreciate. And uh, I love the guy. So it would be great to chat with him again. Do the Republicans hold the House? Yes. And I believe they will make gains. Look in your mailbox. You have an invitation to Poland, but no one answered. Sorry about that. I will check. And now, my friends, I'm afraid I must von Boogieville. So EssentialPhilosophy.com, ArtOfTheArgument.com. Please like, subscribe, and share. Go vote. And for heaven's sakes, don't vote for those addicted to power. Otherwise, they'll be coming for you and your family, and it will not be pretty, and it will not be nice, but it may, in fact, be quick. So thanks, everyone, so much. I love you guys to death, and um, if you want to help out the show, I really, really appreciate that. If you're listening to this and you think I've done some good in the world, please help out at freedomainradio.com slash donate. That's freedomainradio.com slash donate. And now I've been told, and I will listen because I listen to the listeners, Uh, in a big giant echo chamber, I have been told that I must wait for a couple of seconds after turning off the feed so that I don't get cut off. So I'm going (laughs) to wait for a couple of awkward seconds after the feed so I don't get cut off. Thanks, everyone, so much. Have a great day. Good luck, America. Tomorrow, we'll talk to you soon.